Hi, this is Bob Wells here, and welcome to Undercurrent Stories. This is the show where we hear about people's interests and uncover some fascinating stories at the same time. I hope you enjoy today's show. Hello and welcome to Undercurrent Stories. In today's show, I'm joined by Peter Jones. Peter is the founder of Foyne Jones, a recruitment company, speaker and podcast host. He's also a husband, proud father and lifelong Fulham supporter. And today we're going to talk about the world of work in the 2020s. Hi, Peter, and welcome to the show. Morning, Bob. Great to have you on. Been a long time. Uh, you've been far too long, Bob, far too long. Uh, I remember you um, you get in, t- in touch with me a, a fair few years ago when um, when it was um, when, when you said, oh, you know, I've got this idea and um, I'm, I've got a podcast. I want to get it going. And you, you asked me my, for my should, should I go for it? And I remember saying 100 percent. Yes, mate, go for it. Do you know what? I, I'm, I'm so pleased you remember that because at the time I'd been listening to podcasts and I quite enjoyed them. And I'd always, you know, having sort of seen you on LinkedIn, I'd always been quite impressed with your podcast. Well, very impressed with your podcast. And um, you were one of the inspirations to sort of get me going. And I think it's like anything in life, you know, you're not, if you, some people sort of wait until they're 100% there. I just waited until I was 60% there and just built it up as I went along. I, I think I remember when I when I did my first one, I was probably about twenty five percent there, but knew I want to, I knew I wanted to get something going, and uh, I think I'm hundred and ten, hundred and eleven episodes now. I'm on my sixth. We're just recording the last couple of episodes of season six, and um, beginning to think about season seven for for later this year as well. Before we talk about your life as the the MD of Foyne Jones and the world of work, can you just tell us a bit about yourself, please, Peter, and you know how you started off in life and and how you got into recruitment. The journey into recruitment is probably the probably the easiest story, but 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 I'm a I'm a I'm a working class kid from a Fulham council estate, Bob. To be fair, and if you look at the if you look at where where I explain to people, it kind of goes. I kind of summarise it very quickly. I say from a yeah, from a Fulham council estate and working on my granddad's market stall to a misspent youth on the football terraces, <laughs> corporate boardrooms, which you would have shared as well in your 44 yeah. years, corporate, but to corporate boardrooms and the la- launch of a life-changing recruitment company. So the, the real world of work, I guess, be- begun for me when I was 18 and um, we're just turning 18, actually, and I walked into to the job centre in North End Road, Fulham, and I needed a job. Um and um, I picked one card up and went over to talk to the lady and she said, no, that job's gone. So I went back, I picked another card up and she looked at that one and she said, yeah, you, that, that, that job's still there. I can give them a call now and you can pop down there. Um, and she sent me down to a builder's merchant on Imperial Road, Fulham, um, which is now part of the, the uh, Imperial Wharf's Chelsea Harbour development. Yeah. And uh, on a couple of Paul Porter cabins in a, on a sectioned off yard next to the scrap yard and the, and the calf and I think a brick yard uh, was Travis Perkins Fulham. And I started working there four hours a day, um, doing some admin, doing some yard work, jumping on the counter, Quick, quickly progressed onto the, onto the counter and telephone sales. And, and before I knew it, I was a very, very young sales rep out on the road. And I, I think... We're growing up on a market stall, being being outgoing. It was um, sales come. I don't say they come easy, but they, they it was something I enjoyed. Um, yeah. Progressed progressed through merchanting. Uh, probably lucky to be part of Travis Perkins at a time of great evolution. Um, was offered a huge promotion when I was 23 to move from Fulham in West London to the West Country and be part of the Southwest region. Uh, 
took that opportunity, led a sales force of 24 reps, all of them older than me, Bob, all of them knew better than me, Bob, um, didn't understand my accent, you know, you can, you can imagine. So that was a, that was a tough gig for a while, 24 reps and three different regional directors. It was, uh, it was unforgiving, but, um, then with the planned acquisitions, Sheridan Haycock, Tick, Sharp and Fisher, Tick, Keyline, Tick, the Southwest region almost overnight grew from, um, grew from 30 odd branches to 120 branches and um, territories got more defined and then I then I absolutely loved my role as a regional sales manager that took me to sales director designate um, and it was at that time it was uh, one of those stick or twist situations in your life at that time I um, my wife was pregnant with my my second child uh, who's now 21 Henry uh, and um, she said I'm going back to London um, you can come. I'd prefer you to come, but if you don't, I'm coming. I'm going anyway. And um, that led to conversations with Travis. They offered me a position back in London. Um, at the same time, I was offered a couple of other positions, and one of them was to was to join your old business, to join Juicing. Um, and I joined Juicing and uh, quickly assumed the position of London Sales Director. And I think you was at the conference, Bob, where I where that was launched at Excel and. Uh, I did a big presentation under the lights. This is this young lad who's 27 years of age is running his own region. It was, um, yeah, it was a, it was, it was a huge, huge, huge compliment to be given that opportunity. And uh, I loved every minute of my time at Sangabam. But that, that time at Sangabam, I arrived at a point at Jerusalem in particular where first time in my career, and I think some of your listeners will get this, but for the first time in my career, I didn't want my boss's job. Yeah. And all, all the way through my career, I wanted my boss's job. You know, I wanted to be that rep. I wanted to be that key account manager. I wanted to be that sales manager. I wanted to be that sales director. But I, I didn't like the, 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 the I don't want to say the bureaucracy, that's, that, that's unfair. But, but the way the business worked, I, was, I, I weren't enjoying what I was doing. I was, I was spending more time in, and you'll know this, in a place called Binley Business Park, Coventry. I was spending more time in Coventry talking about my job than actually doing my job. And, um, yeah, that. That, that led to some frustration. I was still still doing really well and I saw an opportunity and I saw an opportunity because I was involved in the consolidation of the recruitment PSL for Sangabam and after doing that for a couple of days I realised that there perhaps there were some great recruiters, some average recruiters and some rubbish recruiters on there. You know, there was the great and good, I guess, if you like it, the industry at that time, a snapshot yeah. of where of where we were in two thousand and three. What I saw was there wasn't a recruiter that could sit in front of me and know what I needed for a branch manager in Peckham. There weren't a recruiter who sat in front of me and knew what I needed for a sales rep to target dry liners in North London. You know, they, they were good recruiters, but actually understanding the market from the inside out, they didn't have that in their locker. So that became a fault. That fault became an idea. And I remember the Eureka moment. I was driving down back from the M40 because that PSL consolidation was at... Um, was at the Belfry, Belfry Hotel by the golf course and um, driving down the M40 around Oxford services, I, I pulled over and I thought, I could do this. Yeah. I could do this. Just like you with your podcast, I could do this. Um, not sure how I'm going to do it, but but I can do this. And that turned into an idea. Um, I approached Jonathan Foyne, who, who, who'd worked with me at Travis and came across to join me when I was building the structure in Juicing. Um, if I'm good at Five things, I'm really bad at another five things, but those things I'm bad at, John was good at. So the, so we're around the same age. It felt it felt like someone who might be interested. He was. Um, we put our money where our mouth is, and um, 
I resigned to the board of Juicen in September 2003. Um, Foyne Jones started trading in January 2004, Bob. Here we are now. So we're um, so so if you look if you look at that, we're um, we're we're in our 20th year of trading. Um, it's been an emotional journey. I'm sure we'll come on to that a little bit further down, further down. But that that's the business side of me. But but me as a person, I mean, I think I think you grabbed that intro from my LinkedIn profile because uh, most people will know me from LinkedIn. Most people will know me from LinkedIn. I, I am a lifelong Fulham fan. Um, no Mitro, no problem. We won yesterday without Mitro in the team. I think he's uh, I've, I could give you a hundred million reasons why he won't be in our team for the start of the season. I think he's gone. Um, and that'll be confirmed this week. But I, I grew up watching Fulham in the, in the lower leagues, in the old Division 4, old Division 3. I've watched us all the way up to the Premier League, to European finals, and I've watched us get relegated and battle back as well. So I'm, um, I'm one of these Fulham fans that, that, that loves the team, but I don't get too excited when we win because I don't get that upset when we lose. I'm there for the... Um, I, I'm there for everything else that goes with it, but a big part of my life is my football team. Um yeah, my my wife. I met my wife when she was eighteen and I was twenty. So we're uh, we're we're twenty eight years together because I'm forty eight years young now. And we've got two sons. Harry is twenty five, and Henry is twenty one. That's a oh, and I've got a dog that most people know as well. Bob, a cocker spaniel called Snoop Dog. Um, he's he's more popular than me on LinkedIn. Everyone knows him. Yeah, I much. I, yeah, pop- I think I've seen him actually. So he's much, he's much pop- more pop. He's much more popular than me, mate. But yeah. but that's that, that's kind of who I am and what I do. Yeah. Um, the business itself, unsurprisingly, is specialist recruitment and talent attraction for the construction suppliers, manufacturing, KBB, and luxury interior sectors, which are all all products and markets and industries which I'm passionate about and I'm very familiar with. So that, that's what we do. And we, and, and I do, I do, do, do mean this with respect. We do it pretty well, if I'm honest. Yeah. Just to, um, just for our overseas listeners, we were talking earlier about merchanting and what, what we mean by merchanting is obviously selling to builders, uh, construction companies, building products, things like bricks and timber. Um, and KBB, that, that's kitchen and bathroom, isn't it? Uh, Kitchens, bedrooms and bathrooms. Kitchen, bedrooms and bathrooms. It's, bathroom, the, three, it's yeah. the three most important rooms in the house. You touched there on the fact that you, because of your experience in the industry, you knew what clients wanted. But how, how would you define a recruiter? I mean, re- recruiters, sadly, have an unfair reputation of, of living just above estate agents and slightly below um, double glazing salesmen, which is, um, which is really, really unfair because I think that... Um, the recruitment industry is a multi-million pound industry. Uh, well, gl- globally, it's a billion, billion, billion pound industry. And and I think there's um, there's misconceptions about what a good recruitment process looks like and, and how that process makes you feel. Um, one of the biggest misconceptions of people that I speak to um, is that they a job seeker or someone who's looking for, for work will believe the recruitment's role is to find them a job. Yeah. That isn't the recruiter's role. The, the The role of a recruiter is actually to identify talented people who match the requirements of a brief they're given by an employer. So that's where the, that's where where the, where the magic happens, and a lot of expectation needs to be managed. Um, and that's that's where I'd go. But at the Foyne Jones Recruitment Group, we're a specialist talent attraction and recruitment partner in very niche specialist sectors. And we stay in our niche sectors because we understand them. We understand the pressure points. We understand the challenges. We understand what good looks like. And we've got a, a, a reputation, an enviable reputation for success. So we work as a specialist partner. Um, the majority of recruiters work on work work in something which is called a contingency recruitment model. So 
um, with contingency, and, and sorry, let me go back a step. We only work in permanent appointments, so we don't do temporary, we don't do do, do interim. We work in we work in permanent employment. So, so yeah. if you work with us and you take and, and someone instructs us, we will be looking to find them. For example, a branch manager of a business in Lincoln, and we will find them the best branch manager in Lincoln, and we'll do that through our contacts, through our database, through online and offline marketing, through storytelling. We use the power of video and we, we leave no stone unturned until we find the very first, best people for that opportunity. Many recruiters, I would say the majority in our sector, work on work on what is called a contingency model. And that's uh, it's like selling a house with an estate agent. If I don't sell your house, you don't you don't give me any money. If yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, we don't work that way. We work on a transparency basis. We work as a partner. So we would agree a fee for the project. We would take a small part of that fee at the start before we start work as a, as a, as a deposit. We invoice on appointment, and we're proud to, proud to do that. And we stay with you all the way through probation. So we're, uh, we're a specialist partner, and we stay away from multi-agency instruction. We work very, very closely with our clients, and that's why we've got such a success rate on the projects we have live. I, and, and you'll notice that I use the word project rather than vacancy, Bob. So yeah, I, would, I would prefer to have 30 projects where we're working closely with a client than have 100, 100 vacancies where we might get the odd interview or we might get the odd placement. So, so that's something which is earned. You don't get that, you don't get that overnight, but now I'm in my 20th year. Um, we have got an amazing network of clients. We've got an amazing network of employers that partner with us at Foyne Jones. And I'm proud to say that, you know, we, we get more things right than we get wrong. And that's why we have got have got such a good recommendation. There's goodwill about our business. And we do it with a smile on our face. And I think that's important as well. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned about staying on through the probationary period. So, you know, if somebody's on for three months or six months, you'll carry on working with the client and the candidate at that time, through that time. Well, we, we, we're, 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 with the, we're with our partners as um, we're with our clients as partners. So everything we do is about supporting that appointment. Um, when you when you talk to someone, they, they're they're interested in three things normally: how much do I like you? How much will it cost? And what happens if it goes wrong? We could get 99 appointments right, but we'll be judged on the one that goes wrong. We'll get 99 people turn up for an interview, but we'll be judged on the one person that doesn't turn up. We'll get we'll get 99 people that don't accept a counter offer. The one that does accept the counter offer and doesn't start is what the employer remembers. And how you deal with that? That's 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 when the relationship becomes special. Because if you if you deal with the the negative stuff as passionately and positively as all the good news and all the, and, and all that stuff there, people remember you. And that and yeah. that's and that's that, that's probably one of the one of the, the biggest drivers for me is that we do the right thing all the way through the process. I treat people how they would like to be treated. I treat people how they would like to be treated themselves. And and that and that personality, that passion, that approach, we mix that up with the with world leading video technology. We would mix that mix that we mix that up with some of the best recruitment data data systems and CRM systems in the world. We invest in technology, and I surround myself with amazingly talented people who are much better than me. Yeah, and you put it all together, obviously. Uh, I, I think I think I get out of the way and let them let them go to oh, work. Yeah. To be honest. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, I can influence the business in certain areas. Um, I can I can bring drive. I can bring passion. I can bring personality. Um, perhaps business development. You know, pe- people will want to talk to me, which is great. I've got I've got a loud voice on social channels, particularly LinkedIn. 
Um, you know, I've got a very, very large network and that network has influence. There's great people I'm connected with, great people I work with. So, so that, that, that all helps and it's all part of the DNA of the Foreign Jones Recruitment Group. And what part of the um, country do you, do you work in? Is it, is it national? Yeah, we've always, since we launched in 2004, we've recruited nationally. Um, we, we recruit, we, we've got positions across the UK and in Dubai at the moment. So we're, um, so, so we've expanded our weeks globally. We've done European appointments over the years as well, but predominantly right. they're UK based appointments. Yeah. Uh, we, we go from apprenticeship to C-suite. So it's from apprentice to boardroom, you know, and, and leadership positions, but our sweet spot, is normally the 25k to to 100k appointments that that's the sweet spot of what tends to come to us so the the management led roles the sales led roles the specification led roles the the purchasing supply chain led roles they're, they're ones that come to us if you look at the if you look at the, if you look at the footprint of those branches a showroom manager a designer a branch manager an area manager a sales manager a business development manager business development director regional manager director their appointments which which you would see regularly from us at Foyne jones and they're ones that and they're, they're and they're always ones within our within our key markets i think that's a that's an yeah. important message to have as well and we hear a lot of you know we hear a lot of doom and gloom about jobs and stuff and the economy through the media what, what's the current sort of market like for jobs in in the industry that you deal with it's very tough at the moment but the, the market boom post-COVID, we were we we saw we saw an acceleration of growth. We saw positions, you know, positions being appointed. Right now, there's a, there's a time for there's a time for there's a time for fault. Appointments are being made, Bob, but but they're they're strategic appointments or business critical appointments, and that's yeah. and that's 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 two two areas which will always continue. What I say is that in tougher times, good people become more valuable. So. Um, protecting your people, investing in people, attracting people, but retaining them and developing, that's one of the biggest challenges we have. Um, my whole podcast, season six, is, a, is, is about inspiring our stars of the future. I think the industries I recruit for um, are struggling. You know, they need, yeah. they, need, they need more apprenticeship pathways and we need to be appealing to school leavers, to college leavers, to graduates. Um, you look at the younger generation now, a young 18-year-old Peter Jones might have wanted to be a YouTuber, I might have wanted to play for Fulham, I might have wanted to work in media, fashion, retail, whatever. Would I want to work in a builder's merchant's yard? Not sure. If I if I go mm. back in time, I fell into it, and so many of the success stories in, in an industry I'm passionate about are that yard foreman that's now running a branch, that forklift driver that's now an MD. People's climb through the business is quite meteoric, and it still is. But if we arrive at a point where people uh, like me, you're, you know, I'm, I'm nearer fifty than I am twenty, so you know, if you look at that. If we haven't got the quality coming in and we are not attracting the right people, um, we're in danger of, of, of having some real problems. You see that in, the, in, in trade now. You see that in skills. There's a skill shortage. You know, where are the installers? Where are the fitters? Um, where are those apprenticeships? There, there, there are some people out there making some you know, really pushing for change, but there are areas that every employer needs to think about. You need to think about the next generation. So the market itself is tough. Redundancies are back. You know the R word is back, and that has a that has a that has an impact on, across the industry, and also, and and this isn't spoken often enough. People are, are scared now. You know they're scared about their mortgages going up. They're scared yeah. about losing their jobs. So so when you're scared, something changed. We humans we don't like change. 
you know, mm. so, so, so potentially going for a position, you're more hesitant about it. You're more likely to stay with your current employer. You're, you're going to stick rather than twist if you go down the stick or twist route. So, so it's harder to attract people. There's less yeah. jobs out there, but there still is opportunity. And, 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 in, in, and in tougher times, good people become more valuable. Yeah. I mean, I was going to say, how how's the world of work changed over the last sort of 10 or 20 years, or certainly since uh, you and I were in the business when we first started? Um, uh, you know, uh, when I was brought up, it was very much a case of somebody went into a company and they would be there for, I don't know, 20, 30 years, or perhaps perhaps all the time. What we're saying is now that, that people aren't, they're, they're looking for perhaps every two or three years for a change. I think COVID changed everything in terms mm. of uh, people's perception on, on what, what the working day look, looks like, what the working week looks like. There's new legislation going to be put in about regarding flexible working. You know, everyone has the right to ask for flexible working. Um, and I think that working from home, working remotely, having flexible hours, being creative, um, that's something that every employer, regardless of their shape and size, needs to think about. But but and, and well-being, you know, well-being isn't a ping-pong table. It's not a fluffy beanbag that you can sit on or, or drinks in the pub on a Friday. Well-being yeah. is actually how people feel in the workplace, how they're treated in the workplace. And, and everyone's more aware of that now. And that did come from the pandemic. It's one of the more positive things to come out of the pandemic. Um, what what you're also seeing is 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 younger generations, and you're completely right, Bob. You know the the the, the I'll do 25 years, I'll get a watch and a good pension isn't appealing to people right now. You know, you, it's it's really hard for the younger generation to get a mortgage, to get on the property ladder. So so what they're doing, they're they're looking at working in different countries. They can work digital nomads. You know, they can work wherever they want. They can take their office with them. Their office is a laptop. Their office is a phone. So yeah. so you've got you've got generations that are approaching work differently and that's a challenge for any business if they want to actually think about how they can bring them people in um, flexibility can be offered we offer it big time here at Foyne Jones because a lot of the work we do should be outside of working hours if I was talking to to you about let's go back to your previous life Bob if I was talking to you about a potential new opportunity probably wouldn't be able to get you at 2 30 on a Thursday afternoon but I bet I could get you at, at 7 p.m in the evening if we agreed to call you'd probably talk to me and what yeah. a great time to talk to you you'll be more relaxed you haven't got the pressures of work we'll get to know you and see if you are interested in a position or if the position we've got is right for you and that's and that's and that's that's just just approaching approaching work more creatively. But you have to be be aware that you can't expect someone to work till seven eight at night and then still be in at seven eight in the morning the next day. You've got to be mm. you've got to be flexible with that. You've got to look at the output. And believe it or not, we hear horror stories of people who are working from home and they're being more aggressively micromanaged working from home than they were in the office. It's completely counterproductive. But yeah. equally, I don't always think the people doing that are aware they're doing it. I don't think it's done with – I don't want to get up in the morning and say I'm going to make my members of staff feel uncomfortable today. I think it's just uh, just culturally you can fall into some some traps sometimes. Yeah, I mean, that, I was going to talk about the whole working from home thing, because that, that's something which I experienced um, during COVID. I was furloughed for about three months and, and then, you know, predominantly worked, I think it was three or four days, well, eventually every, every day for a couple of years, which which was good and bad. Um, good in, in as much as I was able, if I had a, a particular deep project to do, I was able to get right into it with no distractions, but, but bad in terms of the rapport with other people. I mean, you could get it to, you know, on Zoom and Teams meetings to a certain extent. There's nothing quite like walking past the water cooler or the coffee machine, having a chat with somebody um, and actually be able to get a decision made 
without having to go into a meeting or write a report. Um, I wonder what your thoughts were on and, and what your clients' thoughts were on working from home. I think personally, if I talk about me as a human being, I'm not very good at it. In fact, I'm rubbish at it. Um, dur- during COVID, I was the, the lonely business owner that preferred to walk his dog into the office and uh, and work from my office. But that's a that's a me thing. That's not a, yeah. that's not an industry thing. Um, I, I get too easily distracted at home. I've had beautiful home offices. I've had garden offices. I've had you know everything set up so I should be able to do it. But it doesn't work for me. I could do some social content. I can do some creative thinking from home. But but I prefer always have preferred an office environment. Um, I think that there's there's a balance between having having the opportunity having the, the flexibility to work from home as and when needed and being around the business as well. I, I see great examples of people that that work from home absolutely spectacularly well, and I see examples of people that struggle with it. And I think the 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 the, the, the reality of it comes down to you as an individual, how set up you are, how motivated you are, how good it is for you. If you're doing it with the laptop on your sofa and the dogs and the dogs are barking and the TV's on, you know, you're probably not 100% committed. But if you've got a place where you can focus, your interconnections, your internet connections, strong, stable and consistent, you know, you can take your office anywhere in the world. And, and I think yeah. that's 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 exciting as well. What are you actually looking for when you interview candidates, potential candidates? Um, that that would completely vary depending on the position, who we're who we're working in partnership for, and, and what they're looking for in the appointment. So there's there's no complete way to answer that question. But what I can say is that 95% of the job seekers we see don't make a good first impression. It, it's it's the 5% of people that that go above and beyond. You know, they will have a best in class CV. They will have a LinkedIn profile that stands them out in, co- in the current market. They will engage and talk and, and they will just just boss it all the way through the process. They have a mindset that separates them above above others. That's the 5% of people which tend to get employed. Um, and you can fix that. You know, a job seeker can fix that by getting their mind in the right place, by having a strategy, by 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 believing that that document they're going to give to introduce themselves whether it's a portfolio whether it's a resume whether it's a cv but that is the best possible version of them it can't be any better if you if you've got that in your locker you're going to be in a great place and again you know doing your homework being over prepared before an interview that separates that separates everyone but our our approach will be very specific to every client we work for. So we understand the questions the client will ask. We understand what good looks like for them. And then we see if we can, we, if that person exists. If that person exists, will they be interested in this opportunity? Unfortunately, you, you see a lot of employers in today's market, and I'll use a football analogy for you, they want to sign a 20-goal-a-season 20 Premier League striker on championship salaries. Not going to happen. So what do you do? You either increase your budget and you, and, you, and you attract the striker you want or you go into the youth team or the lower leagues and you bring someone in who's got medium to long-term potential. They're, they're your opportunities because you, f- you stay within your salary band or you go, go ahead of your salary band. Um, no employer in today's market, Bob, has a God-given right for someone to want to work for them. So how you treat people, how you, how, how you work with them, how, you know, the, the process um, – Doing the right thing through the interview process can sometimes be the difference between a job seeker wanting to work for you or not wanting to work for you. Yeah, I can see that. One one of the things I noticed um, is that you're quite um, sort of adamant that 
jobs should be in, should be actually advertised with a, a salary at the same time. Whereas, the, you know, in the past, it's been, there's been quite a lot of, and probably still is a lot of cloak and dagger stuff about what that salary is. I've, I've got I've got partners I'm working with that that, that won't do it, and, yeah. and we explain to them that you know, okay. You know, we, we'll still work with you, but you are not going to reach the maximum amount of people if you hide the salary or if you keep the salary confidential. You know, yes, if when when you're in conversation, yes, you can release the details a, as you need to, but you're still not having the global reach of a position um, if you don't show the salary. I'm I'm passionate about showing the salary, but but equally, there are times when I respect that it, it's not going to be shown, and we and we work on the project as best we can. Yeah, I guess there's probably times when there's a team of people and, and um, they know they've got to pay more, but they've got a team of people who are being paid less and they don't want to tell everybody. Otherwise, they have to pay everybody more. That could be a reason. I think there's, 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 lots, of, there's, there's lots of different reasons, but there's, um, there's a consensus. You know, I've, I've got a recent post and, and, and overwhelmingly, from a job seeker's perspective, um, people want to... People want want to see the salary. You know, an employer made a really good point. He said, but, you know, I can pay, if you can make me a million pounds worth of business, I'll pay you two million pounds. You know, you know but if you, if you so, so I do understand, I stand it from the employer's point of view. And yeah. I think what, what we, what we bring is we bring real honesty and we show the differences between, you know, what, what you can, what, what it means to the job seeker if you show the salary against what it doesn't mean, you know, yeah. and, and the impacts of it one way or the other. You can't, you know, you're never going to have a unanimous decision in this life. You're never going to have everyone in agreement in the world over what's right or what's wrong. But we have values that, that, that we believe in. And I will, I will publicly say, show the salary. You know, you should show the salary on your marketing. You should show your salary on your advertising. But equally, you know, I do respect that that, that doesn't fit with every business. It doesn't fit with every opportunity. Um, so, so, so we have to, we have to, we have to tread that balance between being a true partner to our clients and being being a voice of being a voice of good as well. Yeah, yeah. Just moving on to the to the industry that you specialise in. How how well these days is diversity represented in it? Much better. Much better. Um, I, I had a, one of the best guests ever on my podcast, Tony McClelland, who's um, she worked on the she worked to advise the police after the Stephen Lawrence uh, invest, invest, not after the investigation into how Stephen Lawrence case was handled. She worked with um, the government in the Grenfell Tower inquiry. She's a DEIB champion. Um, one of the things she spoke about, um, we spoke about everything from from the work she does with gangs in London to advising yeah. boards of directors in terms of how they how they should approach diversity. Um, there's a perception that, that the industries I recruit for are, are, are white male and style, and um, you know that that's something that has to be changed, and it has been changed. There's there's amazing females in leadership leadership positions. There's yes. there's businesses now which are much truer representations of their local demographic profiles, and I think that's that's amazing as well um but there's always going to be work to done and work work to be done and i think generically um an employer needs to mean it you know they need to actually mean it and commit to it and if they commit to 
looking at and diversity to me can mean a different skill set it can mean a different experience it's not always race religion color or creed um it can be it can be from so so many different points the best candidate isn't always a person who's working for the competitor around the corner they might be an average person working for a competitor around the corner and they'll be an average person working for you the best individual may be from a different background they may be from a different in the country they may be from a different a different sector a different industry a different way of life but they could bring something really special so encouraging businesses to, to see the medium to long-term potential and, and invest in training invest in mentoring invest in support that makes a huge huge difference you can you can play it safe and yeah I'll, I'll go for that person because they've got experience they've worked with a product before they understand the market they won't need too much training au contraire if we look the other way let's look at where someone can get in the medium to long term um, and if you look at the best careers and some of the most inspirational people in the sectors I work for you know someone has always taken a chance on them Bob Someone's, someone yeah. took a chance on you and give you a job yeah. someone took a chance yeah. on me made me the youngest sales rep youngest sales manager youngest sales director I remember when I'm when I launched the business, people said, are you mad? You're walking away from a corporate job. You're the, you're the youngest sales director. What, what, what are you doing? And I'm like, I want to do it. You know, yeah. and, and I believed in myself and gave myself a chance. And, and on that journey, yeah, I learned that perhaps in, in the financial crisis of 2009, 2010, I learned that I once wasn't invincible. You know, I still got scars from that passage of play. But I learned a lot about myself. You learn more in the tough times than you do in the, in the, in the times when you're having it off. And, and actually... When you then start going deeper into the process and you and you add true value to your partners, you add true value to the job seekers you're working with and the talented candidates up and down the country, what happens is is your your brand grows, your value grows, and you 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 enter more difficult passages of play like Brexit, like 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 COVID and the lockdowns, and you come yeah. out of them not just surviving but thriving. And that's something which which does come. From diversity. You're built, you're built, I guess you're, you're building on the experiences that you've had all the time. So next time the next big wave comes, um, you're you're better prepared. Hopefully, hopefully. Mm. I mean, you know, mm. you, you, you're you're only as good as the next interview. You're only yeah, as good sure. as the next conversation. You're only as good mm. as as the next day. And some days, you know, you, you just get up and the challenges. You just got to put one foot in front in front of the other and keep moving. You know, but if you do keep moving and you keep believing, there's always opportunity out there. And and I think from 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 the sectors I recruit in and the people I I talk to, there's so many amazing personalities, so many inspirational stories, and um, the more we celebrate them, I think the the better the the health of the industries will be. But diversity is a challenge for everyone, and I and I do believe that there's a lot of companies and groups out there that are just they're just they're just playing a paying lip service to it and, and they don't mean it. I think if you mean it and you commit to something, you can make a real, real difference. We've already mentioned that we're in a, a difficult period at the moment. You, you, you mentioned it a bit earlier on with vacancies and, and candidates. But if, if there was somebody listening who just fancied a change of change of career, but you know they were very mindful of the, the economy, but they definitely fan, fancy doing something different, what, would you, what sort of um, advice would you give them? I'd I'd encourage them to go for it because because we're you know we're the, the world is full of lots of people that are that are going through emotions on the hamster wheel of work life you know Monday to Friday nine dolly parting hours nine to five they're doing just enough they don't feel valued they don't feel rewarded if you financially can afford to take a risk if you if you if you in your own from a, from a well-being point of view 
and not enjoying what you're doing and a change can make a positive can have a positive impact on you what's the worst thing that can happen it could go wrong you know or, or nothing will change i think that 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 job seeking can be daunting it can be terrifying and, and a lot of that's because of how people are treated um they apply for jobs they don't hear back they go for interviews they get ghosted no one comes back to them these people say oh i'll ring you on friday friday comes and goes and they don't hear and that and that puts you off and also failure you know be, being unsuccessful can be terrifying but but for me i always encourage people to dream big you know yeah. dream big really mean it and don't apply for every opportunity, you know, but apply for ones you really want to do. And then if you really want to do, you really want that job, think about how you can do something above and beyond the other 99 people that are applying for it. So you stand out. But but I would always, always encourage people to to, to think about their situation, think about the, the short, medium and long term for them and go for it and dream big because you've got nothing else to lose. You know, you can be, you can, and, and what normally happens when they don't is another year goes by, same problems. Another few months go by, same problems. And, and you miss that one-off chance for something life-changing. And if you, and if you, if you go for it and you, you put your heart and soul into it, you'd be amazed what you can, what you can make happen. And, and also, dare I say this, Bob, you may also find by, by talking to a few other companies and looking at a few jobs and dipping your toe in the water that actually – those things that annoyed you about your current employer are not that bad at all. And you're in a quite a good place. So you should stay where you are. That happens as well, but you won't know that until you look. No, no. So, so explore. Yeah. Follow, yeah. follow your heart, follow your dreams. Yeah. What motivates Peter Jones? I love what I do. I love what I do. I love my business. I love the people I work with. I love the people that work. That, 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 I love our partners. I love our team. I love everything we do, but, but the sing, single biggest motivator in my life is my family. My wife and two children—they're they're everything to me. So, so that's that's why I do everything I do. I'm, I'm a passionate person. I'm a driven person. I wear my heart on my sleeve. Sometimes too much. I care. Uh, probably sometimes too much. I, t- I, t- I, 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 I love bringing I love bringing humour. I love bringing personality into the working day. But I, I passionately care about the industries we recruit for as well. So, um, yeah, I, I think I think they said something that if you if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. I love what I do. Do you have to manage that heart on the sleeve stuff yeah. when you're in meat? Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I, it was something in my younger days and it's still with me now. You know, I, I could be, some, you know, passion can be, you, you can go, you can go a step too far sometimes. So I have to rein it in. I have to understand when to apply it. I have to realize that, that patience and the ability to listen are good. You know, one of my greatest gifts, I think, is the ability to listen and retain information. Um, that's, that's something, some, something that stays with you. It's a life skill. You know, it's yeah. not it's not just a business skill; it's a life skill. Yeah. And what do you do? What do you do outside of work? You met, you mentioned football, and I've seen that you do quite often. You're going on a run. I I think I think a healthy healthy body, healthy mind. So running is good for me. I, I have a lot of ideas when I'm running. I have a lot of ideas when I'm exercising. Um, John Foyne always used to say that you know a Peter Jones that's running and training is the best Peter Jones for the business, and it's just it just clears my mind, um, you know, because because running a, running your own business, whether it's small, medium, large, you, you're not just dealing with the things you want to do. I, I I would love to just be talking to customers, doing podcasts with Bob Wells, having fun every day, but there's a serious side to what we have to do. I have to look at I have to look at the financial aspects of the business. I have to look at my legal obligations to the business. I have to look at how we're going to position ourselves to be the go-to recruiter in our sector. What what are we doing different with our content? What are we doing different with our with our with our marketing? How are we approaching our projects? Are we delivering value? So you're you're constantly having different questions and 
and, and different focuses. And, and if you strip it right back, and that's one of the things we've, I'm very good at, is I strip it right back and what's important? You know, what, what's the most important? What don't I want to do? What do I have to do? And having a daily plan, a weekly plan, checking in on that, keeping yourself focused and committed. Yeah, that's really positive. And, and running, fitness, the gym, that's part of what I do. That's part of who I am. So you actually write down a weekly and daily plan, do you? Uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say it's a. I wouldn't say it's sort of as detailed as as, as one of yours, Bob. You know, because I, I saw the details you sent to me on Friday. It was exceptional. Um, but but mine is but mine is much more about what's important. You know, yeah. what am I focusing on? And I and I build in times to turn my phone off and have flight mode on, so I'm thinking and I'm not being controlled by an app or controlled by an update or a like or a text or an email or a message. Um, so having time to in my in my day to be creative is really good. And yeah, I guess because it's my business and my name over the door. If at twelve o'clock I want to have a run along the beach, I can kind of have a run along the beach. If yeah. if I want to if I if I want to duck away a bit early to do something different, I can do that and I can come back later. I did, you know, running your own business has 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 flexibility, and you can tailor it around your lifestyle. But I say to everyone, I probably work Bob thirty hours a day, eight days a week, and I love every minute of it. Yeah. Yeah. I noticed that you do, you have various speaking engagements. Could you just tell us a little bit about that? Uh, everything really, Bob, from, from industry related, related, related conversations on digital storytelling, recruitment, um, talent attraction, all the way to working with schools, colleges, prisons, veterans, you know, um, some of the best speaking engagements I've had have been in prisons, talking to young offenders, talking to people that are approaching the end of their sentences and wanting to uh, turn right rather than turn left when they get that second chance. And um, that's, that's something I do. But again, you know, it's, it's, it's speaking engagement can be talking to three people. It can be talking to 3000 people. It it depends on what the, where the platform is, but um, yeah, yeah. Over the years I've I've done, I've done lots of different, different, different events. If that that makes sense. Yeah, and that's a good segue into the next bit about speaking. Uh, could you just tell listeners a bit about your podcast? The, the podcast called the Foy and Jones Show. It's now on its. It's now approaching the end of its sixth season. You can um, you can watch on YouTube. You can download on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, it's a, it's a celebration of of personalities and people inside and outside of our industry. I've had Premier League footballers on there and I've had CEOs of some of the most amazing companies in our sectors on there. Um, we get to know people when they're not at work. We, we It's very conversational. It's, it's, it's a conversational-led show. Um, and, yeah, it started as a, as a crazy idea towards the end of 2018 um, and, eight, and uh, became something very, very special. As I said, we're, we're on our sixth season. It's monetized. I've got an amazing sponsor. I've got great partners that are involved. And I have some of the some, – some, some just – inspirational guests so um it the season season one was was the launch of the show season two was um really bringing bringing new guests and personalities to life it exploded during the pandemic with my survival special series i had some of the most amazing personalities and leaders from our target and from our markets um 
give something back. They gave their time back and gave advice to people and really went above and beyond the call of duty. We had a we had an amazing series. Series four was an you know it's it's it was um season four was brilliant. Season five back to business and season six is all about inspiring our stars of the future. I'm um I'm probably 111, 112 episodes in now, so it's been a it's been an amazing journey. Something I'm really really proud of and um yeah you know. I've made friends. I've made new clients. I've had, I've laughed more than I've ever laughed before when I'm recording the episodes. They've just been, they're just something really, really special. We, we recorded the last two series in the best podcast recording studio in the south of England, in Brighton. I've got an amazingly talented young producer, Charlie Hula, who is, um, who's a genius in editing, genius in production, genius in videography, and an absolute pleasure to have around. We've recorded on location at our client showrooms or clients' head offices, and we recorded in our studio in Brighton. It's, uh, it's something which I'm, um, which I'm amazingly proud of, but it's only as good as the next listener. Yeah. And it's only as good as the next person giving us feedback. And, um, you know, yeah, we, we, we get quite high in the charts. We get into the top 20 in iTunes when we go, when the episodes drop. But that's not as important as the feedback. For me, the next guest feedback, the next listener's feedback, putting a show together which is enjoyable and fun to listen to, that's what it's all about. And I think the, the biggest thing I'd say compared to a lot of other podcasts out there is that it's very conversational. You know, yeah, and- it's, it's, it's very conversational. It is, and and it's one that I I thoroughly enjoy, Peter, and been listening to. And as I say, it, it sort of partially inspired my my going into podcasts because of the fun you have. And I, I could probably say that even if you're not you know into recruitment, it's well worth the listen with some of the humour that comes up, and quite a lot about football. Yeah, I mean, f- football's a big part, but but it's amazing. You, you know, if you dive into the personalities behind businesses, the personalities behind brands, and find that they're, you know, we had a guest on who launched, a, he started his business as a installer in, with one van. He's now got an £8 million business with 70 members of staff. And wow. you know, he spoke about that journey and how passionate he is about that. He spoke about his family, but his real love's windsurfing. He's a surfer. Yeah. You know, and, and, and to hear that and to see his eyes light up when he talks about his passion for surfing, it's just amazing. We've had we've had a we've had an ex Ren showroom manager who's turned into a professional boxer tell his story, how he battled battled mental health problems to to follow his dream and become a boxer. We've had we've had leaders from the you know, li- leaders and CEOs, MDs of so many different companies telling stories. Um one of the favourite stories from the podcast, Bob, is the the marketing director of SMEG. Um, yeah. uh, Smeg who do, the, who do the retro fridges and appliances, beautiful products. He told he told the story of how a conversation on LinkedIn led to Smeg products being in Q's kitchen in the latest James Bond film. Amazing. Yeah, that's that's yeah. that's a great episode. That was yeah. a great episode. Uh, also told how the collaboration with Diet Diet Coke started and led to Sophia Dispexter d- w- dancing her way out of a giant size Smeg fridge on Regent Street. You know, some of the so so when you hear the behind the scenes yeah. stories of things like that, yeah, we yeah. recruit for Smeg. They're a brilliant yeah. business to recruit for. But we're not talking about recruitment in the show. We're talking no. about their brand, the people, yeah. what they do, yeah. and that's what that's what we're interested. If my show is just about we're a good recruiter, come and deal with us. We're great. I want to listen. No. Why would you listen to that? I want to listen to that. This is entertainment. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we go for. That's what we go for. No. We, we, we don't always get it right, but, 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 but it's, a, it's, a great, it's a great thing to be involved in. Well, Peter, there's been a really great conversation. It's been interesting to learn more about recruitment and the world of work in the 2020s. And I think that the advice you've given based on your experiences really assists those looking for work or those perhaps looking for a change. 
My guest today has been Peter Jones. Peter is founder and director of Foyne Jones, the recruitment company, and you can find a link to Peter's website on the show notes. Thank you for coming on the show, Peter. Thanks, Bob. It's been an absolute pleasure to catch up with you. Uh, if anyone needs any advice, needs any help, needs any support at all across the entire recruitment piece, the job seeking piece, if they've been made redundant and they need to, they need, they need, they need some steps to get themselves back onto the ride. Um, you can get, get contact, get connect with me on LinkedIn, get in touch with me at the office. I'm one of the most approachable people in the world. I, I'll always make time to help anyone if I can. And more importantly, you know, we can, if we can make a difference, that's, that's something which I'm really passionate about as well. Thanks ever so much, Peter. Thank you. You have been listening to Undercurrent Stories. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please feel free to share the show link to your friends and family. And if you have 60 seconds, I will be most grateful if you would please rate and review. To hear more episodes, please subscribe to the show and visit undercurrentstories.com. If you leave your email in the link, we will notify you as soon as new episodes are released. Also, check out our social media links, details of which can be found on the show notes. Until next time, this is Bob Wells wishing you all the very best.